It's that time of year again where everything is going to be the color of the rainbow and not because of the Noahic Covenant. That's what we're going to talk about today on Conversations with the Calvinist, which begins right now. Welcome back to Conversations with the Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. I am welcome. I am welcoming today to the studio my good friend and friend of the show, Richard Roden. Hi, Richard. How are you today? Doing good. Doing good. I got a day off. You got me a day off of work with this. So. That is awesome. <laughs> Just think about how important this podcast has become. We have actually gotten people to take time off of work to come and sit and share with you the rich truths of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And while we're doing that, there are many who are not getting their little Debbies. That's right. Okay. That's right. They, uh, <laughs> they can do without a honey bun for a couple hours. Richard anyway. is the muffin man, my kids call him. <laughs> he brings the, 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 the little Debbies and the muffins to us, and we appreciate him. Mm-hmm. But he's also a deacon at his church. He has been my friend uh, almost our whole lives, and we have... Uh, we have a, a joyful friendship in the Lord, and we love to talk about the Word. So today, that's just what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the Scriptures, and we're going to do basically just do like a Bible study. And that's not what I always do on the show, as it's as the title of the show, Conversations with the Calvinist, Scripture, Culture, and Media from a Reformed Perspective. Um, but today, we're going to specifically address a passage of Scripture because it is that time of year again, as I mentioned on the introduction to the program it is what some people call Pride Month. And the irony of that is that the Bible literally says pride goeth before the fall. So it's interesting that this is the name of the month. But for those of you who are somehow blissfully unaware, this is the month where the, the sin of homosexuality takes a uh, first place in the uh, eyes of the world as far as businesses. We're going to see them placarded with rainbows. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, not because of Noah and the ark. It's going to be because that particular symbol, that particular sign, which is intended to represent God's covenant uh, with Noah, is has been absconded with and is now being used as the sign for homosexuality. And uh, we're going to see that all over. There's, there's, there's almost no chance we're not going to see the, the, the White House mm-hmm. being lit up with like rainbow. the rainbow, uh, which has been done for several years. Uh, we're going to see probably Google. By the time this hits YouTube, this is probably going to hit this weekend. So right now it's, it's not June yet. Tomorrow is June 1st, and so um, we're recording this a little early. But by the time this hits, Google's symbol will have changed to mm-hmm. some form of a rainbow. Um, <clears throat> we'll see that on Facebook. There will be changes. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of businesses that are giving, like I think Burger King has like wrappers that are going to be uh, uh, rainbow colored and things like that. So we're going to see this all around. And often one of the objections that is given from the uh, re- regarding how the church deals with this subject is, and I've heard this many times, is often people will say something to the effect, you know what, there's all kinds of sinners in the church. 
the church deals with, you know, people who have had divorces, which are, you know, sometimes sinful. We, the church deals with people who, all kinds of stuff. Why does the church focus on this particular sin and make this sin an issue? Why, why do a podcast about this and not about other things? Have you heard that argument before? Mm-hmm. Yes. What do I'll... you usually say to somebody who says something like that? Well, <clears throat> um, the one thing I did tell, and this may, <clears throat> maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but when it comes to homosexuality and gay marriage, um, trying to word this well, the gospel or marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is between biblically between one man and one woman um, for all time. In Scripture, in Ephesians five, <clears throat> Christ is a picture of the husband, or the husband's a picture of Christ, and the wife is a picture of the church. It's Christ's relationship with the church and how he cares for his church and he has saved his church. So when you distort marriage by making it an unnatural act between two women or two men, you're perverting the gospel. And that puts it on a higher level for me than other sins. Um, because it, it, I, I believe it is a perversion of the gospel when that is played out. Because if you look at gay marriage and you try to apply gay marriage to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, well, you're, you can't because yeah. it is between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, um, Christ and the church. Now, does that mean that other sins are less than? I mean, it's, it's just as sinful for a heterosexual man to be in a uh, sexual relationship with a woman outside of marriage. I mean, let's make that clear. But in my estimation, this gets a lot more play, for me at least, because it is it's such, it's so closely related to the gospel in, 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 in its implications. Okay. So that's me. Well, I would add to that. I, I certainly think that's true, and um, I, I certainly the, the marriage is a, a picture of the gospel. I would add this thought, and that is that when we think about other sins, I don't know too many people who are arguing that adultery is not a sin. That's, there's also that, yes. Yeah, not too many people are starting Adultery Pride Month, where we celebrate uh, we celebrate adulteresses and adulterers. There still seems to be some smidgen of morality in our world which seems to indicate that there is some right and wrong when it comes to cheating. You know, nobody wants to be called a cheater. Nobody wants to be called a liar. Uh, you, 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 you know, so... so but that is fading. Oh, I, I, with the concept I, quickly, of open marriages quickly, and all that, polyamory that is, and that, that is fading. Yeah, but let's look at it from another perspective. Not too many people are 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 endorsing murder. Now we could say, of course, people endorse homo or people endorse abortion, which is murder. But that's a the, the the point is, not too many people are are out there saying we should start a murderers club or a, or mm -hmm. whatever or Pride Month for murderers, and that's always been my contention. Is 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 when we talk about homosexuality. Certainly, you're right, it is a picture of the gospel. But it also, it's the only sin that I'm aware of, and, and perhaps there are others, but it's the only outright sin that the Bible des describes that, it, that there, there seems to be a hardcore concerted effort to try to say this isn't sin. Hmm. This is not sinful. And that is a change from the, what the argument used to be. The argument, I believe, has evolved. Okay. Because there are two types of ways that people argue for homosexuality, and uh, you can jump in on this if you, if you want to, but 
there's two types of ways that I've seen people in, uh, argue for homosexuality. One is to say that the Bible, um, the Bible isn't authoritative, and therefore we don't have to, we don't have to, uh, we don't have to abide by it. So mm -hmm. what Paul says doesn't matter. Paul's not Jesus, and Jesus never said anything about. They would say right. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. So Paul's not Jesus. What he says about homosexuality, Moses isn't Jesus. So you know, the Bible itself is written by men. This is their argument. So right. we can take out the parts that we just don't agree with. It, it mm. has been stated, and I don't know that this is true, but Ian McClellan, who played uh, Magneto, yeah, yeah, uh, he is a homosexual man. Right. And I read an article one time that said that when he goes into hotel rooms, that he. Uh, tears Leviticus 18 out of the Bibles because of his because it it so offends him mm -hmm. that because as as a, as a man who identifies as a as a gay man that that Leviticus 18 which is clearly a condemnation of homosexuality calls right. it an abomination he says he tears that out of the Bibles and and throws it away because of its offense to him so to him the Bible just isn't authoritative if the Bible were authoritative, we wouldn't be tearing pages out. We wouldn't be saying this applies right. and this doesn't. So there's that side of the argument. Then there's the other side. And the other side is, I think, more insidious. And it's more common today. And that is the side that says that homosexuality is not sinful. And we have misinterpreted Paul. We have misinterpreted the Old Covenant texts. We've missed the boat. And that's, that's the, the other side. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Well, I'm. I see what I see exactly what you're saying, and I didn't know Ian McKellen tore pages out of the Bible. It doesn't surprise me because he's not a Christian man anyway. Sure. Um, but yes, you're absolutely correct that there are there are Christians who are now advocating that homosexuality is not sinful. Yes, I've I've seen that. Um, <clears throat> or, well, we can say Christians with quotation marks because there are some that are practicing the lifestyle. There's one thing for some prominent Christians to come out and advocate for it, but they don't necessarily practice it. Mm -hmm. It's others when you've got practicing homosexuals who claim to be Christians who are saying it's okay. Sure. Um, which I've seen multiple times. I think doesn't Pete Buttigieg claim to be a Christian? Sure. Him yeah. and his husband. Yes, him and his husband. Which is they claim uh, to be Christian. Not really a thing. Right. But, okay. Um and again, that's First John three nine. Those born of God do not continue a habitual practice of sin. Well, if you're in a homosexual relationship, you're in a habitual practice of sin. The scripture's very clear about that. So yes, the second will be much more insidious. It's one thing for unbelievers to reject the authority of the Bible. It's another thing for. But there, but but I would say there are people who think that they're Christians. So there, so there are people in the first camp who would say, "I'm a Christian. I mm. just don't think Paul was writing on behalf of God, or I don't think Moses represents the heart of God." And so there are people, when I say they're Christian, they claim to be Christians. I'm not saying they truly are. Right. But they claim to be Christians, and they're saying, you know what? I am a Christian because I follow Jesus. So I'm just concerned about the red letters. And, I, and, I, and I've heard people identify themselves as red-letter Christians. But the red letters were written by a man. So how are they authoritative for them? Yeah, that's a good... That's the problem. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to make the claim that since the Bible was written by men, it doesn't have any authority for you then what part of it has authority for you? What yeah. part of it's written by God? The only the red letters? Well, the red letters were penned by Paul or, I mean, not Paul, but my, my, uh, all the gospel writers, John, all them, they wrote in red. Their names are on the book. If They're you on their book, yes. <laughs> my, brain, my brain had a moment. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's but okay. the point is, yeah, yeah. 
they it wasn't like Jesus wrote them down and you know put them in red for you. Yeah. Uh, as far as we know, the only thing Jesus ever wrote was in the dirt with his finger. And we only know what he said. And, and, and we have no <laughs> idea what he said. Uh, I've always I did hear a great uh, uh, just to get off track real quick. You know that story the woman brought to him in adultery, and I mm -hmm. and I understand there's a textual variant there that a lot of people would say, oh, did you know? Yes, I do know. But taking it, let's just say it, the the, the textual variant notwithstanding. They bring Jesus an adulteress, throw it throw at his feet, and he starts writing with his finger and mm -hmm. doesn't say what he wrote. Um, but I had a, a wonderful, uh, uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was a preacher years ago who said, I know what he was writing. He was writing the names of their girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought, it's like every time a guy saw, oh, he knows about Jenny. <laughs> I'm gonna, never mind. Never mind. Um, I'm going to, yeah, um, you who without sin throw the first stone, yeah. Brent, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, oh, that's uh, funny. so anyway, getting back to that, there are those people who would say, I'm a red letter believer. I only believe what Jesus said. And Jesus never talked about hom homosexuality. I would disagree with that. Um, I mm. would say that Jesus never addresses homosexuality in the same way that Paul does. Right. But I do believe Jesus <clears throat> addresses what we might call the natural order of sexual uh, conduct. Right. And the natural order of sexual conduct we find in Matthew 19 where Jesus was asked specifically about the subject of divorce. Mm -hmm. And he is, he is, you know, do you think you can divorce for any cause? And he says, have you not read that from the beginning mm -hmm. they were made male and female? And for mm -hmm. this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, what God has brought together, let not man separate. That's, that's Jesus' words. Right. Quoting from the Old Covenant, he's mm -hmm. quoting the order in which God created, mm -hmm. and he's quoting the order of creation as God created a man, God created a woman, these two were created for union and marriage, where sexual intimacy is meant to exist, and that union, once unified, is to be maintained in perpetuity. It's main, meant to be right. maintained forever. So, so for somebody to say Jesus never addresses the issue of sexuality, it, it, he clearly does there. Mm -hmm. He clearly... Uh, makes a, a marriage the the picture of a man and a woman coming together in union, and that this is the way God designed it. Right. But uh, another thing, when somebody says, "Well, Jesus never talked about that," you could say, "Well, Jesus never talked about bestiality either." Right. Um, and so, if we're going to limit ourselves to only the things that Jesus specifically mm -hmm. affirmed or condemned, then we can't we can't say that bestiality is wrong, even though the Bible does say that. Leviticus, in, in in the very same chapter, I believe, where it refers to homosexuality, it also refers to uh, having a, uh, a sexual relationship with an animal, right? which is, you know, weird, but right. but it's there, which, yes. which means it's been around for a while. Le mm -hmm. Le Leviticus... Ecclesiastes uh, yeah, is pretty clear. There's nothing new under the sun. That's right. Um, people that's, that's not, people that's have not been new. doing crazy stuff forever. So um, in affirming the old covenant model of man and woman mm -hmm. by Jesus affirming and going back not to Moses in the law, but rather to Moses' writing of the uh, first book, which is Genesis, right, to creation. Using right. creation as the model. Man was created. Woman was created. One man, one woman. And as I've heard it said before, no spares. There wasn't like Adam, Eve, and, you know, Brenda, Brenda and, and, you know, <laughs> right. Bertha and these different, you know, just in case Eve didn't work out or because, or in case Adam wanted to have a night out or something, he, it was Adam right. and Eve. And that was it. 
And that was it. And so there is a model. The model is one man, one woman. And, and we know that that model is perverted uh, a lot in the Old Covenant where we see men taking multiple wives, mm -hmm. which was a cultural perversion of God's plan. Right. Uh, the first people to take multiple wives in Scripture, and I taught about this when I was going through Genesis, were actually the unbelieving line. We see the unbelieving sons of Cain were the first ones to practice poly... Uh, uh, what's polygamy? Polygamy. I was thinking right. polyamory, but but I knew that. But, but polygamy, right. multiple marriages. <clears throat> so there is a model. That model has been perverted mm -hmm. by men, and so the perversion would then become the um, the uh, opposition to the rule. The rule is the man and the woman, and Jesus follows that. Right. But. If a person says, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe what Paul says, I'm a Christian, I don't believe what Moses said, I'm a Christian, I don't believe what Obadiah says or any of the, you know, Micah or any of the rest, I only believe what Jesus says. I mean, that to me would say you just don't believe the Bible is authoritative. Because even when Jesus says something you don't like, you're just going to say, well, I don't believe that either. Well, that's because they're, they're nitpicking for their justification. He didn't say homosexuality. Yep. Therefore, Jesus didn't talk about it. Therefore, we're good. They're not going to do the deductive reasoning of like what you just did. He talked about male and female. He used creation order. We, and you bring that all the way down to his, his normal conclusion, marriage between a man and a woman. Yep. They don't want to do that. They're just looking for a word. Yep. That's, that's it. And so that's how they justify making that leap. Well, since Jesus didn't talk about it, and that's why they want to do that, because Paul was clear with it. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. And, you know, yeah. He was very clear in two places. Um, Leviticus is very clear. But since Jesus didn't say the word, well, then that means Jesus didn't have a problem with it. Yeah. And, they would go, and I've heard people go as far as to say that Jesus would preside over a gay marriage today if he were alive today. I've heard that. Mm. And I'm thinking, no, he would not. Um, but, again... But you're absolutely right. They don't. This isn't authoritative in any way, shape, or form, except yep. for the pieces they want to be authoritative. Yep. And even those pieces, they're taking. They're not even taking in context. Yeah, it's a, it, it ultimately leaves me as the authority over the Bible. Right. Rather than the Bible being the authority over me, I get to say what parts of the Bible are right and wrong based upon my warped sense of right and wrong, based upon my sinful nature. I don't like it when Jesus says that he's the only way, so I'm going to make there be many ways. This is not me talking. I'm speaking as That's Oprah talking. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. So right. I can say Jesus was a great teacher except for the things that he taught. <laughs> right. And <laughs> it's a justification to indulge in the sinful lifestyle that they want to indulge in, regardless of what that is. Yeah. And, and, and so, so I do think that's an insidious problem. Those who would say I'm a Christian, but I'm a I'm a, basically an unbiblical one, right? But the other side are those who would say, "No, I believe the Bible, and I believe you have misinterpreted it." Hmm. That's the that's the the, uh, the finger right. point is the finger point of pointing at the the traditional understanding is the, wrong. The two twenty five hundred years of church history, you know that. 
you know, believed all the same things for all this time, but suddenly now it's wrong. I got you. Yeah, no, it's, and that is it. And so what we're going to look at today, as I said, we're going to do a Bible study. That was all introduction. If you've ever, if you've ever heard one of my sermons, you know, my, my introductions tend to be a little. There were were some other people that said that we got it wrong. Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Smith, you know, they reinterpreted the scriptures too. But anyway. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we've got the new, y'all, y'all missed the point. Anyway, go ahead. Well, you mentioned you mentioned two passages, and we're going to look at them both today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1. And again, somebody might say, Pastor Keith, I've heard you talk about this before. Yes, but um, on what's going to be different, I hope, today is I really want to show you the, the interpretive method that is being used by the other side who's making this argument and show you why I don't think it holds water. And also just because I do have people that still come to me today and they say, Pastor, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And, and, and I say, OK, um, here are some passages. And mm-hmm. it's it, so I do know that even even now there are people who just haven't read these things. And so if you're a person, you know, maybe you've read through the scriptures, but you just maybe you didn't catch this or maybe it didn't it didn't register what was being talked about. That's what this is for. To just sort of point this out. How do we understand it? How do we come to this conclusion? Um, how we come to conclusions is so very important. How we arrive at, you know, like I would affirm, I would stake my faith and my life on justification by faith alone. But mm-hmm. I didn't come to that conclusion because I was told to by Martin Luther or John Calvin or R.C. Sproul. I came to that conclusion because I believe that is clearly what the Bible teaches in so many passages, uh, very specifically Galatians, which was the very argument of Galatians is you're not saved by keeping the law, but you're saved by faith in Christ alone. So um, the same thing here. How do we come to these conclusions? Well, Romans chapter 1 is uh, is obviously the introduction to the entire letter. And this is this is Paul's magnum opus. This is Paul's, um, I would say, the, the among his letters, probably the 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 even though Galatians is my favorite, this is probably the the most most thorough and and most powerful uh, in the sense of it, it provides for us a as close as we get to a systematic approach to theology because he begins by outlining the issue of uh, his purpose, which is to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he goes into sin as as a um, as a universal problem. The end of chapter one through chapter two, where he talks about those who have the law who don't keep the law, they they show themselves as sinners as well. And he gets to chapter three, where he addresses the subject of sin as universal. Therefore, everyone is under sin. There's none good, no, not one. There's none who understands, none who seeks after God. So we get to chapter three. At the end of chapter three, he begins to move into the doctrine of justification. How is a sinful man made right with a holy God? And he spends chapter three and chapter four and even into chapter five dealing with the subject of justification. When he gets in chapter five, he starts dealing with the relationship between Adam and Christ. We are dead in Adam. We are alive in Christ. And he talks about that federal headship relationship that we have with both. In chapter 6, he talks about sanctification. Shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? Certainly not. Mm-hmm. Goes 6, 7, and 8. 8 is where we get that final passage. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Wonderful text there. Then in chapters 9, 10, 11, he talks about the relationship between Israel and the church and how um, there's always been a remnant of Israel, and now the church has been brought in, has been grafted into that remnant because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, so we are made, as it were, part of that believing covenant. Mm-hmm. And then in chapter 12 to chapter 16, we get a application of the letter. 
beginning with the call to renewing our minds. Right. So that's an overview of the whole book. Going back then to chapter 1, we have his greeting, which is, takes us from chapter uh, verse 1 to verse 7, then his desire to go and see the Romans, that's verses 8 to 15, and then he begins to talk about the righteous living by faith. This was the passage that changed the life of Martin Luther when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I just love that passage because he's saying faith from first to last. We're saved by faith from first to last. Then he begins his, his section on how God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And he talks about the fact that all men know that God exists mm -hmm. and can see God by virtue of everything that's created. Right. I don't know if you do this, Richard. I know when I'm when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and they say that they're an atheist, often I make an appeal to the world around them. Mm -hmm. Don't don't we see in the world around us the evidence of a creator? If you see a painting, you know there was a painter. If you see a building, you know there was a builder. Yeah, you I walk them. I walk. John, I did interrupt you. I walk them through the. If we were on a hike and we were in the middle of the woods and we come up on a cabin that's been abandoned for twenty years, and I said, "How did that cabin get there?" And he said, "Well, somebody built it." I said, "Well, did you see him build it?" Well, no. Well, then how do you know to build it? Because the cabin's there. That's right. Tree, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, firm and show his handiwork. So, yes, I've, I've done the same thing. It's creation itself screams the existence of God. There's no way around it. That's right. So. And it tells us here, too, that not only do men know that God exists, but that they are without excuse. Right. They are unapologetus. They are without a defense. No man's going to be able to look at God and say, I just didn't know you were there. I didn't, I didn't have evidence that you were there. Um. Then it moves into the subject of idolatry. It's beginning at verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that's the sin. The great sin of man is the sin of idolatry. And I would say that makes perfect sense, especially when we look at the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments deal specifically with having no other gods before the Lord and not making something and calling it God, which is right. the second commandment, which is uh, idolatry, making a graven image. Therefore, this is the, this is the context. We're going to talk about in a moment what one of the men who argue that Paul doesn't address homosexuality, he uses that context in his argument. He says, right. Paul's not really talking about homosexuality, he's talking about idolatry. Hmm. So, idolatry is the context when we get to verse 23. Then we get to verse 24 and we have the word therefore. The word therefore, of course, indicates that we are now going to take what we just learned and we're going to apply it to uh, how this works out. So, this, therefore, that. And... Um, it says, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul has just brought to a crescendo his thoughts, and his thoughts are that because of idolatry, because men know God is there and they won't worship him, they are 
worshiping other things, God gives them up in their in their hearts, and and and, and I, I've al- I've often referred to that as the wrath of abandonment. Mm-hmm. I believe God has different ways that he expresses his wrath. Certainly there's eternal wrath, which is in hell. I think there's consequential wrath, which happens when, like if I, um, if, 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 if I do something wrong and I receive punishment, that's a, that's a certain built-in wrath. You right. know? Uh, if, I, if, I, if I drink every day for all my life and I get drunk every day, end up getting a disease as a result or yeah. drive my car into a brick wall, there's consequences right. that are built in. Reaping what you sow. That would would you reference God giving him over as like him lifting his hand of restraint? Uh, yeah, okay. uh, uh, I would say when it says God gave them, and that and that's what we're going to verse twenty four says God gave them up. That is God allowing. Well, I don't like the word allow. I want to talk about God. Their punishment is they get to do what they want to do. That's right. That's right. Basically, the thing that was restraining their heart. Has been removed. Right, and now they can just free to. You want to indulge in those passions? Go for it. I always think of like the the Holy Spirit of God, like a like like a foot on a brake pedal. And mm. I know that may be a, a weird analogy, but like if you sit with your car in drive, and you're already on a hill pointing down, you've got to keep your foot firmly on that brake pedal. Right. And if you begin to lift your foot off that brake pedal, you're going to begin to slowly go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the engine itself wants to go forward and because you're already on an incline going down. But if you jerk your foot off that brake, you're just going to shoot, shoot downhill. And, 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 and worse, if you take your foot off the brake and hit the gas, now you're really going. And, and, and as the Holy Spirit is, is letting off that brake, the, the heart is pushing the gas mm-hmm. to, to, to go. So, yes, the, the giving up in the lust of their heart to impurity to the dishonoring their bodies among themselves is is the result of that idolatry. And we see it. I do believe that this has a sexual connotation because it says the lusts of their heart to impurity. Now, we're not yet talking about homosexuality. I believe that this is referring to the expression of sexual sin that Mm -hmm. happens almost everywhere we see a society that is given over to, uh, to, to, to lust, the first thing that happens is we see rampant sexual indiscretion. Mm-hmm. So what happened in the United States uh, about 50 years ago? They had what was called a sexual revolution. Where, and we're still feeling the effects today. Yeah, what, what we're going to see, though, that that sexual revolution gives way to a homosexual revolution. Right. It was actually MacArthur who pointed that out. I thought it was a very good, very good point he made. He said that that what we see in Romans one is we see idolatry, which gives way to sexual revolution, which gives way to homosexual revolution, and then all kinds of other sins are then seen as being okay because we have opened the floodgate, and that's what we see in Romans. We see sexual revolution homosexual revolution, and then it goes to that list of sins where they're doing everything from hating God to hating their neighbor and, and, and all and, those things. And we can see a corollary to our country today. Sexual revolution in the 60s, homosexual revolution still going on, still going on in the 80s, the 90s, 90s, 90s yeah. today. And now we're starting to see maps, minor attracted persons. Yeah, absolutely. That's starting to be, try to be normalized. Yes, so it's only going further and further down the rabbit hole absolutely, of just absolute depravity. Where we so. get to the point where at the end of Romans 1, it says, excuse me, it's right here. 
it says, uh, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So now we're back to the Isaiah issue of calling good evil and evil good. Which where we're quickly getting to. We're, 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 we're there. We're, there. We, we're right. in a place where the virtues of manhood and womanhood are said, no, those are not good. But rather, we are, we are proclaiming the virtues of transsexual identity. Mm -hmm. um, the things that were good 20 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, are now being called bad. And mm -hmm. the things that were evil are now being... Well, we have a good. whole month to celebrate. Right. Right. So this is, a, in a sense, a roadmap for what we see around us. But we're not the only... We're not the only nation. We're not the only place in the world that's ever dealt with this. This is what happens when um, idolatry gives way to sexual sin. And so I do think idolatry is here because what's all idolatry is is leaving the one true God and making a God of your own. Right. It's, it's just usually like, yourself. Yeah. Right. Just like, you know, anytime we meet a person who says, well, my God is this or, or, or you know, my witch warlock this. I, and I know that sounds weird, but people say that. Yes. People will say, you know, well, my coven... You know, they, they mm -hmm. don't they don't condemn me. Well that's of course they don't. They they get to make up the rules as they go. Right. There's there's no objective truth or anything. It's That's right. Whatever desires of your heart, which as we know from Jeremiah are very wicked. Yep. And we can see them all around us. But anyway. So this <clears throat> first giving up is in verse twenty four, and it is the result of God uh, of them turning to idolatry, and it says they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Sounds like Paul's at the end of a chapter here. Sounds like, okay, he's blessed forever. Amen. He gives this uh, a benediction statement here at the end of verse 25, but he's not done. Verse 26 and 27 are really the passages we want to look at today. Right. I can't just look at just two passages. I have to show the... Oh, I know. you got to gotta get the lead up. How this fits together because the arguments against it, to me, are, 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 are so... So they're so insidious and they're so subversive, mm -hmm. and they're and they're they sound like we really know what we're talking about, and they, the other people just they've never considered this. Well, that's the diff that's the danger of how can I word this? Smart people justifying their positions, they can take and twist stuff and make it sound orthodox. That's right. Uh, as Martin Luther said, they take the scripture and treat it as, as, as a wax nose that can be formed in any shape they want. Then yeah. That's much better than what I just said. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, go for, ahead. For this reason, so this is uh, similar because he says in verse 24, therefore God gave them up. And then he says in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now, he's already used the phrase, uh, dishonoring of their bodies. So we, and he talked about the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring their bodies. Now he's saying he's calling it dishonorable passions. And he says, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Now notice he doesn't say lesbianism. That was not a word that he would have used. And he doesn't use the word sex. However, he does use some words that indicate a meaning that we can ascertain based upon his words. He says, for their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. Natural relations with women would be sexual relations. Mm -hmm. And were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty 
for their error. Okay. That's what it says. It goes on to say, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. It goes on and lists more sins, but it specifically addresses in verses 24 and 25 a sexual indiscretion, and then it moves on to a homosexual indiscretion, moving from one to the other. And therefore, we have to address the the question. One, he doesn't use the word homosexual here, so they would argue, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that it's possible that he's not talking about that. In fact, I've heard some people say what he's talking about here is pedophilia, which is man with a child or woman with a child uh, or uh, uh, abuse, uh, abusive sexual relationships. Um I don't see that in the text. I can't it see doesn't how you get, say you it doesn't say men leap. with children. Um, it, it, the 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 key here is the word unnatural. Right. And years ago, I remember having an online discourse with a man. He was a, I think he was a professor at some school here in town, and it just so happened to be a mutual friend of someone else's on Facebook. And I said that homosexuality was unnatural. And he lost his mind mm. on me, got very upset with me because he was arguing uh, that there is no such thing as natural. He was saying, he was saying, Paul is using a term that we can no longer accept. He was saying that natural is not a uh, scientific word. Uh, his argument was um, there, there is no standards in nature that we can appeal to. And I know, I, I see your face. I love it. Those of you who aren't listening, Richard just went, say what? Because we, we, we do know those are standards. Yeah, it's God created a standard order for, I'm sorry, God created a standard order for nature in the beginning. So, and that nature, but, that, but it, doesn't, it doesn't apply now? Yeah. How? I have heard this argument. I want to see how you'd handle this because I, I, I would. I, I know how I respond, but I want to hear your response. And I know you don't know this, so so. <laughs> Here we go. Well, well, I didn't. I didn't warn you. Okay, that's fine. Um, a movie came out years ago. It was a comedy called "I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry." I remember the movie. I didn't see it. Okay. It was. Um, it's uh, Adam Sandler and or Kevin James and somebody. Kevin, Kevin James and Adam Sandler. Okay. The plot of the film was um, there was a man who needed to be married for some reason. It was either a, he was going to be deported or something. There's something like that. He had not need to be married. So he, his best friend says, well, let's get married. Let's the two of us get married. And, right. and, and instead of a woman, be two men. And so the movie itself, in various parts, and again, I, I don't even remember where this came out. I don't know how I saw it. I just remember, I remember having seen it. In various parts, it was endorsing homosexuality in a very uh, subversive way. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly one portion at the very end where they actually have to go to court to defend their relationship because, mm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a legal drama, if you right. will. And uh, the daughter of one of the guys gets on the stand and begins to argue that there's homosexuality seen in the animal kingdom. Mm. And therefore, it is natural because we see certain forms of animals that produce uh, asexually that don't have uh, natural sexual relationships or, the, or that have um, animals will change gender or, or there, there, mm-hmm. there can be like a chemical change that allows them to produce. And, 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 her, and this was like a, 
like a 12 year old child, but she was, I remember the judge going, I never knew that. Like, 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 like he, his heart was being changed and the whole movie, by the time the end of it comes along, you see there's, there's a, there, there is a, an agenda here. It's not just, you know, to, to create a comedy, but it's to create a, a to create a, a, a position to say, right. if you disagree with this, then you just don't understand nature. You know, nature is showing us that homosexuality is right. Hmm. So what are your, you, you, have you ever heard somebody say that, that, that it's natural? Yes. I've, uh, <clears throat> especially when it comes to you, you see homosexual actions in, in nature, you know, I, and my mind goes to, you know, I used to have dogs. Okay. Two male dogs. And every now and then <laughs> one of them would jump up on the other one and start going to town. But that doesn't mean that they were gay dogs. Cause if a female and heat come out in there, they'd forget about each other real quick. It's just that it was an urge to hit him, and he went with it. And they're dogs, okay. <laughs> First of all, they're dogs. They don't know what they're doing. They're dogs. They're responding to impulses. And they don't have morals. They don't have morals. They, they have they, instincts. They have instincts. Correct. Yeah. The other thing, when you talk about um, <clears throat> animals are changing gender, mm. okay, and that's been like a transgender argument. See, it changes gender. Genders, you know, it's a construct, whatever. Uh, I saw a documentary on, I forget this kind of fish it was, uh, but basically it could, it would go into like hibernation for so many months and come out the opposite gender. Yeah. And it would do this, and this is why it would do it. Because in, in whatever, in the area it was at, it was living in, the population had gotten too gender heavy to one side. Mm -hmm. So it would go swap gender and come out so that it could then start producing babies again. So if it was female, if there's too many females, it would become male and come back out and start producing more males, I guess. But the point is it had to do it in order to maintain the species because there was too many females, not enough males to propagate species. Yeah. If it hadn't have done that, then the species quits existing because there's no more actual natural uh, procreation going on. Yeah, it was out of necessity. Transgenderism isn't necessity. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, and we could say because that is a natural thing that happens. Right. That there is a meaning within the bounds of nature that this is something that God has created within their DNA to do. Well, absolutely. But there is nothing that we see in the human kind where a even a man who dresses like a woman and has the surgeries, they're not having babies. No. They, they can't they, they they have yet to be able to produce within them the um the womb right. and the things necessary to take a baby to term. I mean, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger notwithstanding. Yeah, and I don't even think that would work. That was in the movie. It I was, know, yeah. they just, but you know, Danny DeVito implanted him into a cavity inside his abdomen, and it, I don't even think it would implant. No, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But that idea of here you have this thing that's happening in nature, and they say, well, see right there, it happened in nature. And, and my response is a little simpler. Uh, my response is, yeah, tigers eat their young. Not everything <laughs> that happens in nature is, uh, is intended... <laughs> I mean, you understand, right? right? If you're going to tell me, well, it happens in the animal kingdom, therefore it should be right for us. 
Uh, I watched a monkey rape another monkey one time. Uh, and you might not call it rape, but it looked pretty bad to me. And it was at the zoo. The monkey didn't ask. He didn't take her to dinner first. He, he just, didn't get consent. He did not get consent. He went and did what he wanted to do and then left. Right. If that happened in the world, all of us would say that's wrong. So to say that natural here in Romans, getting back to the text, means, well, things that we see within the kingdom, the, the animal kingdom, that's natural. No. Natural means what something is designed for. And we know that when we look at the human body, there are certain designs that are natural. And the, 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 the male reproductive organ is naturally designed to function along with the female reproductive organ. And could we not interrupt you, but could we go this far? Of course, certain We natural. could go further to the microphone. <laughs> Concerning natural and unnatural, all right? Uh, Scripture is very clear that creation groans under the burden of sin. Mm -hmm. If the creation wasn't under the burden of sin, would the monkey be raping the other monkey? You see I, what I'm saying? I I, you I, you I, see I, elements of yeah. the perversion of nature because of the sin that it's been marred with. That's a good point, yeah. Well, here we are. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. And yeah, that's no, a real good point because, you know, it, the Bible talks about the lion laying down with the lamb. Right. You know, that is that is actual nature. Right. That's, that's created that's, order that, nature. That's pre-fall nature. Right. That that the lion would not um, be a murderer, a killer. Of the know, lamb. Of the for lamb. For sustenance, correct. Yeah. All right, so... Um, Getting back to this text, the, the idea of natural and unnatural, I, I want to interact with something that we have here. Uh, I'm not going to put it on the screen for you because I'm just going to read this. This is from Matthew Vines. Now, Matthew Vines is um, Matthew Vines wrote a book called God and the Gay Christian. He does many debates on this particular subject where he addresses homosexuality and says that <coughs> a that that what we have, according to his argument is what we have in the Bible is a condemnation against unnatural sexual relations. Mm. But a homosexual, according to Vines, a homosexual's desires are natural for them. Mm. Therefore, Paul is not addressing them because Paul is only addressing those who would... He said this. He's, in fact, I'm going to read it. He said, um, if a man who has homosexual desires marries a woman, he would be doing wrong because he would be going against his natural desire. Let me read it to you. Hmm. Okay, so this is a portion of his debate. I have the whole main, the whole transcript here. You can find it on his website if you're interested in reading the whole thing. He, um, he, he does away with the Old Testament basically just by saying, uh, you know, uh, the verses in Leviticus don't apply to Christians. He says that right there. Mm. So, so we don't even have to concede, you know, don't have to worry about that. Are you a friend with Andy Stanley? Anyway. <laughs> um, and then he, he talks about Romans 1. The, the, the interpretation we are giving now, the traditional interpretation, he says, is wrong uh, because we've missed a, a huge point, and this is what he says. He says, um, I'm going to read a lengthy portion. I'm going to start here with this phrase. He says, the women, he says, exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones, and the men abandoned relations with women and committed shameful acts with other men. Both the men and women started with heterosexuality. They were naturally disposed to it, just as they were naturally disposed to the knowledge of God, but they rejected their original natural inclinations for those that were unnatural for them, same-sex behavior. Paul's argument about idolatry requires that there be an exchange 
the reason, he says, that the idolaters are at fault is because they first knew God, but then turned away from him, exchanging him for idols. Paul's reference to same-sex behavior is intended to illustrate the larger sin of idolatry. But in order for this analogy to have any force, in order for it to make sense within its argument, the people he is describing must naturally begin with heterosexual relations and then abandon them. And that is exactly how he describes it. But that is not what we are talking about. Gay people have a natural, permanent orientation toward those of the same sex. It's not something that they choose, and it's not something that they can change. They aren't abandoning or rejecting homosexuality. They never... they're that's, heterosexuality. I'm sorry, heterosexuality. That's never an option for them to begin with. And if applied to gay people, Paul's argument here should actually work in the other direction. If the point of the passage is to rebuke those who have spurned their true nature, be it religious when it comes to idolatry or sexual, then just as those who are naturally heterosexual should not be with those of the same sex, so too those who have a natural orientation towards the same sex should not be with those of the opposite sex. For them, that would be exchanging the natural for the unnatural. In just the same way, we have natural nature, we have different natures when it comes to sexual orientation. I had a hard time even reading that, and not because I can't read. I read rather well, but just getting the words out of my mouth, Yeah, that was difficult. Um, so Paul is talking about, he's only talking about since heterosexuals went to the opposite, which is homosexuality in that passage, that's what makes it unnatural, and you flip it. But nowhere in that passage, one, does he talk about homosexuals going to heterosexuality. As a, So we're just supposed to make that leap. First of all, yeah. Second, what is his definition of nature? Where's Matthew Vines get his definition of what's natural? Again, if he gets yeah. his definition of what's natural from what God did in the beginning, then there's no other interpretation for this other than going outside of the male-female sexual relationship is unnatural. That is the only conclusion you can come to, unless you have a different definition of what God meant by what's natural and what He created in the beginning. That's right. Because what he created in the beginning, if you read Genesis 1, all the way through the creation account, what does he say before he rested after everything he made? It, it was good. good. Yeah. If it was good, then that means it was right. Because God did it. Yeah. And then in Genesis 2, when he sets them up and presides over the first marriage, it's between Adam and Eve, as we talked about before. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's a, hello, this is the natural order of things. Yeah. Period. And any, anything you see, whether it's in nature itself between animals or human beings committing a, what Paul is talking about here, it is against the natural order of things. Yeah. Period. If you want to argue that you see homosexual acts in nature, well, guess what? You're seeing an aberration, aberration of the natural order of things that God set forth. Period. I'm sorry. I'm, no, no. That no. aggravated the stew out of me when you're reading <laughs> The stew. <laughs> oh, man. You're so funny. Anyway. All right. I, I the, the part that got me was this part. He says he, he's he is he's doing something called begging the question. Now a lot of mm. people a lot of people miss when people say you're begging the question, what most people means is you're raising the question. That's not right. what begging the question is. Begging the question is when you assume your conclusion in your argument. Right. Okay. Uh, it, that that that's what begging the question is. You're assuming the conclusion uh, rather than making an argument, you're assuming your conclusion is correct as part of your argument. So he says here, uh, in, a, in a way that I think is begging the question, he says, gay people have a natural, permanent orientation towards those of the same sex. 
It's not something that they choose and it's not something that they can change. Now, I have seen some scientific data. I know that there's not a lot that's actually available because a lot of what's done in this area is actually not this is an area people don't want to touch because mm -hmm. it's such a hotbed, it's such a hot button topic when it comes to um, the issue of uh, politics and nobody wants to touch it. But as far as we know, there's no gay gene. No. There's nothing, there, there's nothing that, that, that they can point to and say, okay, this person has this or this person has that and that, and, and therefore this chromosome or that chromosome. There is, there is something we can look at for male and female, the X and the, 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 X and the Y, and the, right. the, 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 the X and the X. But, but there's no gene that is homosexual. So he is making a statement that gay people have a natural permanent orientation towards those of the same sex, and it's not something that they choose. Now, I would then, because I've heard this challenge, I, even from homosexuals, people who identify as homosexuals, I've heard them say um, that I am free to choose, and I've chosen mm. this. Right. So, so, so he's not speaking for everybody. Because there are some who would say, I don't believe in such genetic predestination. Because what he is, what he's affirming here is genetic predestination. Right. He is saying there's something about me that is predestined to be gay. Now, if somebody made, I just want to make this point. If somebody made this argument for, say, murder, I'm predestined to be a murderer. We would not accept that as a reasonable no. excuse for murder. If somebody says, I'm predestined to be a thief. Because I have a natural, permanent orientation towards liking other people's stuff and wanting to take other people's stuff. We would not accept that as, one, as natural. We would say that's still unnatural. Even if that's your, even if that's your permanent orientation, even if that's the way that you think your mind is made, you're a kleptomaniac. Okay, you're still a thief. Right. You're still wrong. Um, you are, uh, 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 you're not going to... You're not going to satisfy any court of law by blaming a, 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 a supposed genetic predestination. And if you were to say that to Matthew Vines, Matthew Vines would immediately, especially when it comes to murder, take you to the Ten Commandments as his authority to say that, uh, well, God said that thou shalt not murder mm -hmm. as his authority because yeah. that's what God set, set it in motion. That was God's decree. Well, yeah. God's decree in creation was man and woman. Yeah. So there is no permanent natural orientation toward those of the same sex. Yeah. Because if you're going to say that, if he's going to say that, then what he's going to say is that God created them that way to be that way, and therefore it, he created them to be against what he ordained at the creation account. Yeah. And that makes no sense to me. Now, we've never talked about this. I don't know what your opinion is. Oh, and, boy. And, and, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> we, are, we are getting close to the hour mark, so we'll, we'll, we're, we've got to begin to draw to a close. But um, when we... Um, one of the things that I've seen a lot of churches say is they, they actually affirm some of what he's saying here because I've heard a lot of churches t say um, that there is such a thing as same-sex attraction, and that's usually the term. It's SSA, same-sex attraction, um, and therefore uh, we have to make room for that. We have to make room for same-sex attraction and say, um, you know, we can't affirm you being in a homosexual relationship, but we understand that you are not attracted to uh, women the way you are to men, and therefore we have to give way to same-sex attraction. Okay, and in in what? 
Okay, it depends on what capacity they're talking about affirming it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if you're talking about in a church where you have someone who's a believer in Christ, they bear fruit, Mm -hmm. and then they come to you and say, listen, I've always struggled with same-sex attraction, but I do not act on it. I do not. I'm not in a relationship anyway. I've chosen to stay single because I'm not attracted to women. I'm attracted to men to say it's a man. And I'm doing all I can to mortify this sin of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're coming to you looking for counsel, for help, for prayer, whatever. Someone walk along. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. There's going to be, I mean, it's, it would be the same thing if I came to my pastor and said, listen, I want to have an affair every minute of every day. Mm. Okay. And I struggle with it constantly. I've never had a guy say that, but I've, I've had guys say similar things. You know, I, I struggle with porn or something. Porn yeah. or, you know, I'm so sexually oriented that all I think about all day long is having sex. And it's one of me, I'm going to cheat on my wife. I don't do something about it. Yeah. And coming to help, coming for counsel and trying to mortify that deed, that sin of the flesh. Yeah. That's part of the sanctification process. Okay. If you're talking about affirming and dealing with same-sex attraction that way in your church, with a press, with a believer who shows that they are connected to the true vine and everything about them says that they are believers. And I've I've known a couple of Christian guys who've been that way. Mm-hmm. But they don't act on it, to my knowledge. And they're just looking for someone to talk to. Yeah. I can deal with that all day long. Yeah. But if you're just affirming it just to affirm it for the sake of trying to be popular in the culture, then you're missing the boat. Yeah. That's that's where I'd stand on that one. Yeah. So well, here's here's where I I have a bit of an issue, and, and and I think I agree with what you just said. I think I think that was very um, that was very godly thought that you know if a person comes to you and they're and they and they're dealing with SSA, if we want to call it that, right? And you and, and but but they're 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 dealing with it by um, seeking to mortify the flesh. I love that phrase that you used, mortify the flesh, because that's what we're all called to do: be killing the flesh, or it'll be killing you. Right. Right. I, I do think, though, that here, here's where I take an issue with the broader culture that I see in Christendom, is there has been an opening for SSA across the board. Many people, you know, we have to affirm that there are Christians that are same-sex attracted. They're not acting on it, but they're same-sex attracted. Where I think the issue lies is not still saying that attraction is unnatural. Right. But I think, and the reason why I bring this up that's the way that I see the shift mm. is it's not just, okay, we're going to say, I understand you have this attraction and, and we're, we're going to love you and, you know, we're going to love you through it. We're going to deal with it. Love you, love you anyway. It doesn't matter, you know, if you have this attraction, we love you in Christ and we're going to, we're going to love you. That's not the point. The point is, is a desire for that sin natural? And I right. would say, I would say that still falls under the category of we need to deal, we need to talk about that desire and say there is a sense in which if a man came to me and said, and I know this is not the same, but if a man came to me and he says, I have a desire for children, hmm. I would not affirm that as a positive. Right. I would say, brother, we need to deal with your heart because your heart is caught up in something that is desperately wicked. And if this is what's consuming you, we need to, this is an this is not only an unnatural desire this is a perversion because if a young man came to me and said pastor keith i am thinking about sex i would say uh, uh 
that's natural. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I would affirm pornography or anything like that. I'm just saying if a young man is thinking about uh, a sex with a woman, that's a natural desire among right. a young man. But the unnatural desire, so if a man's thinking about having sex with a man, or if a woman's having sex with a woman, or, a, or someone's having, wanting to have relations with a child or an animal, these are outside of the borders of what is natural. Okay. And that's where I, I would say I agree with you. Everything that you said I think is right in how to deal with it. The only thing I would add would, would be to say, do you understand this desire? And if they're fighting it, if they're mortifying it, they probably already understand That's what it. I was thinking to say. In, in, that, in my scenario, they're coming to me. Because they know. Because they already know. Yep. I don't need to do this. This is a sinful. This is sinful in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, and um, what I see in the church, though, is I see people who are saying, we can't tell them it's unnatural because it's natural well, for them. Well, that's hogwash. <laughs> that's absolutely yeah. the wrong way to go. Because yep. then that only leads to... All it does is reinforce that this is okay and this right. is right. It reinforces that it's okay and it's right. And and then it, and it, and it's a slippery slope because eventually you're gonna, if you're going to affirm that it's a, nat- it's a natural thing, yeah, you know, it's just natural for you to have, uh, have feelings toward a man as it is toward a woman, then you're eventually going to end up down the road of you're going to be performing gay marriages in the church. I mean, there's, there's nowhere... That's where the road leads. Yeah. It, you you got you got to make a stand, and I, I want people to understand. I know I got sounded like I was getting heated when I was talking about some of this stuff later in this episode, but I want you to understand. I don't. When dealing with this thing, we have to deal with them with compassion. We have to deal with them in a Christian manner, and you know, even sometimes with kid gloves because this is a sensitive issue. But at the same time, you got to make a stand. This is right or this is wrong. Yep. That's. You know, and I keep I keep and I would say fir- natural or unnatural, natural unnatural, yeah. and I keep coming back to First John because that's what we're studying in Sunday school in our Sunday school class. But John makes it very clear, black and white. Much of the Christian walk is black and white, and this is black and white. Yeah, there's no there's no gray area here. I agree. It's natural unnatural, and so you can you can deal with people with compassion and love and grace. But still be firm in your stance of what the Bible says. Yep. You cannot compromise that. That's right. Because our authority is the Word of God. Period. The end. Yeah. So. Well, anyhow. we've we've come to what has to be part of our conclusion. We're over an hour now, so I, I just want to end by reading First Corinthians six. Um, we're not going to have time to give the exposition that we I know we wanted to talk about. There are two Greek words here that are that are used to translate the word homosexuality one is malakoi which means soft usually uh, is representing the more effeminate partner in the uh, homosexual relationship or or we might say the the um, the one well uh, the submissive the submissive and then uh, the arsenokoites which is the combination of arsenos which is uh, for man and coitus which means sex and so the two words together, or the active, in fact, it says it in my ESV at the bottom, it says the two Greek terms translated by this phrase refer to the passive and active partners in consensual homosexual acts. Mm. So um, I'm just going to read this, and then I'm going to draw us to a close. Before I do that, I'll say, Richard, thank you for being on the show today. Do you have anything you want to add before I? Well, I'm happy to contribute to if the wrong people see this on YouTube, you're out. (laughs) <laughs> no, I know, that, but but I hope I hope that we've been fair. I right. mean, we looked at the text. We talked about our understanding of what nature and natural. I even brought commentaries with me. We didn't even get around to reading them. McCar- I think we said most of what was in them anyway. Um, there was one 
well, I won't even get If you're interested in looking at James Boyce's commentary on this or John MacArthur's commentary, that's what we looked at right before the show, just to kind of see what they said. And we even looked at Calvin. Calvin addresses unnatural acts. He doesn't use the word homosexuality, but it makes sense that he wouldn't because it's, you know, he's writing 500 years ago. Therefore, the, the language was not as defined in, in regard to this. And when he said unnatural acts, he was referring to. He was referring to. Yeah, the and departure. Of, it. Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't no argument about it. All right, so here's the passage, First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. It says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God." And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So we end on that note from the Word of God. I want to thank you again for watching today and listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. Thank Richard for being here. And if you have any questions or something you'd like for us to address on a future episode, please send me an email at calvinistpodcast.com at gmail.com. Again, that's calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Conversations with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.